Welcome to the Travel Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bowman, the executive editor of TravelPulse.com. Today is Tuesday, March 28th. Happy Travel Tuesday, everyone. we got a great show for you today talking big news around the world of travel and a lot in the aviation. So we'll get right to it. And now joining me on the show is NBC News correspondent Tom Costello, who has been covering the aviation industry for nearly 20 years now. Welcome to the show, Tom. Tell our listeners, Thanks, a, tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so NBC News has had me on this beat for, um, it'll be 18 years. In fact, it is 18 years, come to think of it. Uh, I took over for the, for the legendary NBC News correspondent Bob Hager, who retired. Uh, and so, listen, I think I'm the luckiest guy at NBC News. I get to cover aviation. I get to cover space, which includes NASA, SpaceX. Jeff Bezos and company, Richard Branson and company, um, and and all of that. And then, oh, by the way, I still cover uh, economics because I used to work for CNBC and cybersecurity. I kind of cover the kitchen sink. But at the core of the kitchen sink uh, every day is aviation and space and um it usually is not very controversial. It's not like covering politics. Uh, and so that makes it, for, for me, it's a, it's a great beat. Great. Yeah. I mean, the news never sleeps, as we both know. So it's got to be keeping you busy. So I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to jump mm -hmm. on and, and talk a little bit of travel. We're going to talk a little bit of space stuff, definitely aviation innovations and everything a little bit later on in the show as we get to air travel news. But first, as we do for every episode, in case this is your first time listening, people, it's so we're going to dive right into what has been trending in the world of travel in the last week in the news. And we begin with some destination news front with Caribbean tourism going strong, cruise ports and operators all reporting Strong 2023 passenger arrivals and the big one last week, uh, Turks and Caicos now dropping vaccine requirement for entry starting on April 1st, kind of the last big uh, destination there in, in the Caribbean that has uh, lifted that up. So it's uh, fully open. Uh, no surprise that the Caribbean it continues to thrive in tourism. Uh, Tom, still a ways to go, though, before we're, we're fully reopened with no restrictions out there in the world. Uh, it's moving closer to being fully open. But, you yeah. know, for uh, as uh, COVID wasn't the only thing hindering travel, still not. You know, there's a lot going on in the world these days, right? Well, I think that's right. I mean, let's keep in mind that three years ago, you know, we were talking about how many people were stuck on cruise ships all over the world because there was a, a pandemic outbreak on the ship. And then, of course, as you would expect, uh, that business really cratered during the pandemic. Uh, Carnival just out saying that uh, 70 percent, uh, they are booked 70 percent, I should say, through the end of the year. That's a big deal. However, because there's, their costs have skyrocketed, uh, they still expect to lose money this year. But still, uh, people are coming back and in a very big way to the cruise industry. Uh, nearly every major port in the Caribbean has now reopened, and several of these big Caribbean ports are reporting 2023 passenger arrival numbers are at or exceeding 2019 levels. So uh, this is a this is a big, big growth area, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about Puerto Rico or the Bahamas, the Virgin Islands, uh, Turks and Caicos, as you mentioned, which is now dropping all of their COVID-19 vaccine requirements. Folks are cruising and uh, and the ports are full. Yeah, and it's good, certainly good news for the industry. I mean, we've seen the kickback. Obviously, the cruise side of things taking a little slower, but the Caribbean, you know, absolutely thriving. And I, I saw several travel agents, too, post about this Turks and Caicos news, and we're just beyond thrilled that, that it, it's gone. And it's just a little bit more of a step towards being back to, I don't want to say normal, because we're never going to get back to where we were before, but we've got to progress forward in, in a new normal, as, as some of my listeners I know hate that term, but it is it is where we're at, and we've got to thrive forward. But there is still a lot of other things going on in the world. I know, you know, there are still other places impacted 
that still need time to recover. Asia, for sure. Africa, slowly getting there as well. And then even some places, uh, and I know a lot of people wanted to go to Russia and they were thinking about that. And then the pandemic happened yeah. and then, then the wars happened. So there's still a lot of places out there that are being impacted by it for various different reasons. But that's part of the world that we live in and we've got to just adapt and adjust, right? Yeah, I, listen, I think you're right. I mean, listen, the Virgin Islands uh, is this year expecting that they're going to surpass 2019 passenger numbers, numbers the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, people are are touring and they are going out. Now, you're absolutely right. Asia has struggled more with coming out of the pandemic than the United States has. And candidly, that's because the United States vaccines, the Western vaccines, Western Europe, have been far better than the Chinese vaccines. And so that really has hindered uh, operations in Asia. As for Russia, listen, I got to say, I'm not sure that we're going to be going to Russia at all for many, many years and uh, my own opinion, and I have a European wife, and I was just in Europe, actually. I spent a week with NATO on the high seas uh, looking for Russian activity around Norwegian oil and gas operations. Uh, I think they have totally undermined uh, the trust. Any trust that was there pre-existing between Europe and Russia, I think, is gone. And that's not something you rebuild in a couple of years. I I'm not sure that that's going to be back for many, many years, maybe generations. Take note, travel advisors. Yeah, it's going to be a long time before Russia becomes a tourism destination again, unfortunately. Jumping over to other travel news, though, that's out there. Big one last week that uh, I know some travel advisors weren't too happy about as we continue to talk about ChatGPT and its potential impact there. But online travel agencies, OTAs as they're called, and OpenAI, the um, creator of, of ChatGPT, they've launched a, a plugin for travel planning with ChatGPT. Chat GPT, say that 10 times fast, right? So it's Expedia yeah. Group and also Kayak. They launched this plugin to help users, uh, they say, simplify travel planning through the OTA platforms. A traveler can map out their trip itinerary through a virtual conversation with the custom built plugin. So, Tom, uh, Chat GPT has been generating hype and buzz for a few months now here. What are your thoughts on that and as it relates to travel? I, I don't know. I got to say that makes me a little nervous. I don't want anybody, anybody else making my reservations for me. I'm kind of one of those guys who has to do it all myself or my wife does it. I'm not sure how much help I really want from from a bot or from AI, and I'm not sure I would trust it that is, it isn't channeling me or funneling me into something that is uh, you know, going to cost me more for somebody else's bottom line. I'm a little skeptical, but, you know, listen, we are talking about how it can help in terms of uh, planning and shopping around. I guess, you know, Expedia's databases produce something like 1.2 quadrillion results for a hotel search alone. So it could help with that, with booking, with post-booking if you've got issues. I, I think you're right. This is the brave new world, the brave new future, whether we like it or not. You know, it's kind of like the Starship Enterprise when Captain Kirk would just say, computer, and the computer would start talking back. I, I think we're we're there already, and it's only going to grow more more intrusive or yeah. more interactive. I don't know what the right word is, but I think it's here to stay. It definitely. It's something you can't ignore. And it's it's there. And for my travel advisor listeners, you know, that's something technically a new thing you got to compete with, but maybe embrace it a little bit too, because I don't think anything can replace, I'm with you, nothing can replace, you know, doing yourself or having a human element to that. I, I'm not going to trust a bot to try to plan things uh, and book things for me. Is there going to be like an auto upsell 
feature into their algorithm or anything like that. Right. I, I, yeah, it's a, about the trust factor there. And I'm going to put my trust in a travel advisor because I don't want to do things on my own, where some people do want to do things on their own and, and have it be all in their care like yourself or, or have your wife do, which is also myself. My wife does a lot of that too for me. But yeah, nothing can replace, you know, that that human element. And, you know, maybe some travel advisors want to jump in and uh, try to get ChatGPT to help them set up itineraries if, if you're not too familiar with a destination. But again, I'd say just go do some training and nothing can replace being there and in, in person yourself and experiencing a destination and then being able to sell that to your clients there. Well, I'm with you. Uh, listen, my wife used to work for the one of the airlines. She loves getting into the minutia yeah. of uh, finding the best fare and codes. And I mean, you know, all of that, finding the best travel deal. Any place we go, she has found the best hotel or Airbnb or whatever. Uh, she has a lot more patience than I do. I would, you know, I'd be like, OK, fine, book it. No, no, she's she wants to spend hours to make sure it's the right one. Sounds like a, uh, another career as a, a travel advisor. Start booking for all her friends, you know, make a little extra income there, right? Yeah. She's a travel advisor for our family. I think there that's you go. as far as it goes, yeah. There you go. Yeah, you guys are doing a lot. You got your uh, kids have dual citizenships, all right? Yeah, my wife and kids have dual, dual nationality with Belgium, but they were both, the kids were born in Belgium when we lived there. So we, uh, we spent a lot of time in Europe, a lot of time in Brussels and the surrounding areas. And, uh, you know, we always, as I always joke, we every year we have to go to Brussels to kiss the ring. And then from there, we go wherever. So it's often across Europe. Uh, you know, those are kind of just there's always something new to see in Europe. And, and I've seen an awful lot of it. And we're right now trying to figure out where we go uh, in the coming months. That's exciting. Yeah, it's uh, going to be a busy uh, summer for Europe. You know, we talked about destinations earlier. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a big one for Europe. And that's certainly great for, for all my industry colleagues and friends out there who are, are buying and selling on that. Yeah, absolutely. So jumping over to air travel news, we'll get a big one here and then we'll dive into kind of some of the aviation innovations and space talk and everything. But big one last week was the uh, DOT. They're rejecting JetBlue and Spirit Airlines exemption request. So they denied this by to and uh, to operate under common ownership, citing the Justice Department's antitrust lawsuit seeking to block the deal. So this is continued ongoing saga, and uh, we talked about this a few times on the show in the past. But Tom, I'm curious. You know, you cover aviation industry and everything. So what are your thoughts on this whole JetBlue Spirit air, uh, merger saga? Listen, that that one doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I think the bottom line is that you know the, those two were arguing that it was going to create uh, more uh, lower wages for options for travelers. I think. Many, uh, many outside of that, those folks and in the DOJ were concerned that kind of consolidation, eliminating one of the competitors out there is only go going to drive up airfares because you would be creating, I think it's the fifth biggest airline. I'd right. have to go back and look what the numbers were. But um, obviously, you know, anytime we've had an awful lot of consolidation in the airline industry. Uh, compared to where we were 20 years ago. Think of all the players that are gone now, right? So whether it's U.S. Airways, uh, which was, of course, created after America West, uh, Continental Airlines, for example, Northwest Airlines, for example. I mean, there are there I could go on and on, but we've had an awful lot of consolidation uh, in that sector, and that means there are fewer players, all of them competing for your dollars, which means you and I have to pay more. Uh, I'm not surprised the DOJ would, would block that merger, um, to me, it was troubled from the beginning for that very reason. Yeah, and we'll we'll see what happens later on this year. A federal judge they said an October 16th uh, trial in that lawsuit for 
this. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, a bit later and we'll see how many other headlines top up about these. I know the, the CEOs from both airlines have been quick to comment on things as they've happened uh, throughout this. So will they remain silent over the summer or we'll, we'll see how things play out in that trial come October, but it doesn't look, doesn't look well for Spirit and JetBlue to merge together. And meanwhile, what, what's Frontier doing on this, right? They were, they were first in this and they got kicked to the curb and yeah. I wonder yeah. how they're feeling, right? No, I think that's right. I mean, listen, you've got a couple of these smaller brand names, the low cost carriers, Frontier is among them, Spirit is among them, of course, um, Allegiant Air is among them. Um, and obviously the bigger airlines would like to gobble them up as best they can. But I, you know, I think that you do have to ask yourself what would happen to my airfares if I lost those cheaper opportunities, those cheaper options. Right. Yeah. And price is a big focal point for a lot of people, a lot of travelers these days as it continues to rise and rise. You know, I've had many, many airline CEOs tell me over the years that they are shocked, shocked at the number at the people who will literally decide they're going to go with brand X over brand Y, one airline over the other, because of a single dollar difference in an airfare. Wow. Uh, whereas, of course, you've got to consider everything else, you know, in terms of if time is money, is that airline going to get you there two, three, four, five hours earlier? Are you going to have to go through another city on a connection? Mm -hmm. uh, what about the bags? Are you paying for bags, not paying for bags? Uh, so, you know, sometimes I'm surprised that people only look at that first number uh, when they're booking flights this this flight is a dollar five ten dollars cheaper. I'm going with them. The truth of the matter is, if time is money, it, it may end up costing you more. Yeah, in the long run, it could come back to bite you for sure on that, especially yeah, if things go wrong. So yeah, that's right. Other notable headlines in the air travel news this last week: uh, U.S. government's pushing for new airline passenger bill of rights, saying it would strengthen refund rules, eliminate junk fees, <clears throat> work towards a minimum seat size, and make it easier for families to sit together on a flight. The FAA also issued safety warnings to the airline industry after near misses. There were six runway incursions have been reported since January, which forced the Department of Transportation to host a safety summit. Uh, passport processing times, this story really blew up for us in the last few days here, um, have amid unprecedented demand. Can't speak today. Uh, the routine times are now going to take 10 to 13 weeks and expedited is going to take seven to nine weeks. So U.S. lawmakers also just uh, the, late last night uh, reintroducing a or planning to reintroduce today the Protection from Abusive Passengers Act. It would be legislation to bar passengers that have been fined or convicted of serious physical violence uh, from commercial flights. So a lot going on in the air travel news sector. So, Tom, just curious your thoughts on the current air travel landscape that we're in right now. Well, listen, I think I heard you mention that the passport backlog, that's pretty significant. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to cost you at least three, take you at least three months to get a passport now renewed, two months if it's an expedited version. Um, you know, so the, the bottom line is we I actually did that story for NBC Nightly News on Friday night. We talked to an expert who said, listen, do not buy your airline ticket if you don't have your passport. If you're hoping to go to some other country and come come June, come July, Hopefully you'll get it by then, but there's no guarantee. And we are they're looking at 500,000 renewal apps every single week. That's up 30 to 40% over a year ago. The, the problem is during the pandemic, demand tanked at the State Department for passport renewals. So the State Department laid off people or reassigned people. And now they're trying to staff back up. That takes a while. And oh, yeah. by the way, their online portal is not working right yeah, now. That was not good. So as a result of all of that, if you are hoping to travel internationally, but you haven't yet renewed your passport, do not, at this point, plan on going in April. Do not go in May 
you know, you need to give yourself two to three months. Candidly, I would even give myself more time than that before you uh, book your flight. Make sure you have the passport in hand before you book the flight. Yeah, it's going to be uh, tough for some people out there, and they're going to be, you know, on hold and making phone calls trying to get it even extra expedited. But you might, yeah, yeah you might miss out on that and, and be forced to. I know I'm. I feel I'm uh, going to be playing with fire, fire a little bit. I'm definitely going to do the expedited. My passport expires in November. And I've got a trip to Mexico in May, which uh, doesn't, they don't follow the six month rule like other countries. It's just as long as it's there, uh, you have it. And it was and during the duration of your trip, that is. But after that, I'm going to be sending it off. And hope, well, I'm hoping that maybe by May, the online portal will actually be up up to speed and, and work a little know. bit. But we'll, I, I don't know. I don't know. Secretary of State Blinken suggested it may be later in the year. So I, I wouldn't bet on that. And I think you'll be fine if you're traveling in November. But, um, you know, the sooner the better. Oh, no, it, it, it expires in November. I've got a trip at yeah. the um, end of August, first oh, week okay. of September. So it, I mapped it out. It's uh, as soon as I get back from Mexico, it's 13 weeks. So I'll be doing yeah. the expedited and hoping for the best, that it sticks to seven to nine weeks. So it should be, I I think you'll be fine. Listen, the other thing that you talked about, though, and it's it's very important, and that is the number of runway incursions we've had so far this year. And I think a lot of people think, what the heck is an incursion? Uh, An incursion is uh, FAA speak for any time that you have two vehicles on a runway, or runways, plural, and they come too close to each other, too close than what the FAA prescribes. We've had six close calls. We've had many more than that. But we've had six close calls in which one or an airplane be, got way too close to another one on a runway, either about to land on the same runway, take off, run across a runway. We've had six of these cases. That is a concern. Uh, but listen, we uh, a runway incursion can also be quite literally a, de- a delivery van on a runway that should not be there. It could be a fire truck that makes a left turn on a taxiway right into the path of a plane, uh, that, and that should not happen. So they are concerned about this. The, FAA, the Air Traffic Controllers Union says, listen, we have 1,200 fewer controllers now than we had 10 years ago. And yet we have flights that, you know, we're at, we're pretty close to pre-pandemic levels on numbers of flights and passengers right now. So this is a very big concern. It's why the FAA has created a sterile uh, air traffic control tower environment now. I used to be able to go up in towers, shoot stories for the Today Show and NBC Nightly News. And now they're saying, I'm sorry, but we're we're declaring these sterile environments now because of uh, we need to double down on attention to the job. And we don't want anybody in there who in any way could distract our folks from the job at hand. So they're doubling down on that and they're asking airlines and pilots to do the same. And you got to staff up to it. How are we thinking this summer might be? I mean, we know last year was pretty chaotic in terms of stuff with staffing causing issues and obviously weather played a little bit here and there, but a lot of it was, you know, staffing not being there and the delays and cancellations happen. And are you forecasting? What are your thoughts for for potential uh, chaos this summer? Well, I'm no official prognosticator, but I'll tell you my own thoughts, my own feelings. I I hope and I think that uh, last year was was probably a one-off. Now, keep in mind we have a we had a I hate I hate the analogy, but we had a perfect storm of events, right? We had too few pilots for some of the airlines, including 
specifically including American Airlines, Southwest Airlines, and Alaska Airlines. We had a surge of, of people who wanted to get out after the pandemic, after the lockdown, and these airlines simply were not able to handle the surge. Now, they have dramatically all staffed up since then. They've also resolved their labor disputes with their pilots. Uh, I think all of the airlines now have signed new labor agreements, so you don't have pilots out walking the picket line, for example. Uh, and I think they've had a year to get this under their belt. Of course, Southwest had another meltdown over the Christmas holiday. So that all goes to Southwest internal issues in terms of their computer system. Hopefully, they they claim they're back up and they, they won't have a repeat. But, uh, you know, we'll see if uh, they can uh, they can manage the test of time and the big surge in travel. You thought last summer was busy in terms of people traveling. I think this summer is going to rival that, maybe maybe create new levels, set new levels for airline passengers coming this summer. Yeah, I think it's going to be a record summer as well for, for some airports specifically, too. And, yeah, make sure you get there well in advance because it's going to be it's going to be busy times on the security lines. And hopefully TSAs continue to staff up as well. So I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, it's not going to be as a, a summer of hell as there were some, you know, headlines that were touting it as last year. I don't think it was as, you know, I think that's a little strong for last year. It was definitely chaotic and there were, you know, issues. But this year, yeah, I'm hopeful for, for better times. It's just a lot more people is might be the more of a bigger storyline. And that might create, you know, some sort of issues inside the airports and on planes. And let's hope it doesn't lead to any more unruly passengers. And uh, maybe, you know, legislation will pass on. I mean, legislation takes well, time to do things to on that, that point. But, yeah. yeah. So on that point, first of all, I just looked at the TSA numbers this morning. They're screening two and a half million people a day. So we are back to 2019 levels on how many people are being screened. Now it's spring break season right now, but right. two and a half million, that's a very big number. That that suggests we're back to 2019 levels. On the other point you mentioned that you, you alluded to, and that is the bad behavior on board planes. Listen, this is a big problem. Air rage, people who get violent on board planes, verbally uh, violent or physically violent. Uh, the FAA last year had 131 unruly passenger cases. That was up from 146 uh, just four years ago. 831 last year, 146 four years ago. And as we all know, we've reported on this uh, extensively. You know, literally, they people have assaulted flight attendants, punched, yeah. out, punched out their teeth, uh, assaulted other passengers, put them into headlocks. I mean, uh, we've had significant, significant air rage. Unfortunately, we've had a loss of decorum across all of society, I would argue, and all yeah. of that plays into it. But um, the FAA has adopted a zero-tolerance policy, and now we have members of Congress who want to pass legislation saying if you are banned from one airline because of bad activity, you should be banned across all airlines permanently, and they want a new national no-fly list for this kind of violent physical behavior. Uh, they, that is gaining momentum. Uh, we'll see if it passes Congress. There is bipartisan legislation right now pushing that. I, I think the uh, I think the White House would be behind it. We'll see whether Congress would will uh, agree to it. I certainly hope so. I mean, we have got to get something going on that because those stories have been just kind of outrageous over the last years. And yeah, the numbers are staggering, as you mentioned there. So we'll see if that happens. I'm for it. I know a no, uh, big ban across the board, if you will. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Time will tell on, on that for certain. So 
As we jump over to aviation innovations, though, uh, what are you seeing in that front? What's the store? Uh, what's in store for the future of air travel? I think the biggest change on the immediate horizon is probably facial recognition. You know, it's already being rolled out at airports. Mm -hmm. and, uh, if you leave the country, for example, I flew out of the country just 10 days ago, and uh, that's nothing new, but they scan your face as you leave. Uh, customs scans your face to make sure you are who you say you are. Uh, and now we have, for a couple of years, airlines have been testing out this technology, using your face as your own uh, ticket uh, to yep. get through uh, and, and board your flight. I think that's only going to continue to grow. Uh, so that, I would think that is probably the biggest, uh, at least in the near term. There are always going to be a lot of tweaking around the corners. You know, um, uh, for example, Alaska Airlines has this brand new bag tag, and I have it with me actually, in which it's a permanent bag tag that actually you apply to your bag and you, whenever you check in, it automatically knows who you are. It matches your electronic bag tag to your, your uh, itinerary and you keep this bag tag on your bag all the time. And so it's a permanent, you know, it's like having a, an air tag, if you will, on your bag. Uh, however, it's for Alaska Airlines, right? It's yeah. kind of like a permanent tag on your Alaska on your bag. But if you use another airline, this is not going to work. But it's this is where the industry is going. And more and more and more easy convenience, simply walk up to the counter, hand them your bag. It automatically scans, it scans your face. And, and you're off and running. So I think that's probably where things are going. Uh, I would also say, I think we're going to see, in terms of passenger comfort, uh, they, a lot of airports are doing upgrades and uh, trying to fix you know, our dilapidated air infrastructure across the country in terms of the terminals, in terms of passenger terminals, uh, and now, of course, also in terms of runways. DFW is doing all they can now to, to get rid of cross-runway taxiways that could lead to those runway incursions we talked about earlier. Now they're going to taxi these planes all the way around the end of the runways, not cutting across runways. Now, that's a great idea, but you can only do that in airports that have the real estate to cut those cut those taxiways around the end of the runways, right? To create a loop, if you will, around the end of the runways. But more and more airports are doing just that, and that's an FAA uh, initiative as well. That's great. Yeah, a lot of insight there. Um Technology, you know, jumps out to me on that and making it the travel experience, you know, enhanced, making it more seamless, making it easier, making it safer. So I know it saved me time on the facial recognition. Uh, I, I used my with my Delta flight. Uh, this was back in January and the TSA pre-check line was even crazy long there in Atlanta. And yeah. I'm like, man, everyone's getting pre-checked these days. What the heck? And yeah. it, not that not entirely because I was in Jersey and then it saved me at least 45 minutes because nobody was in pre-check there. But, you know, Atlanta's the busiest one there. And I, I saw that it gave me a notification and I had my digital ID one. And then the guy around the corner is like, hey, anyone have a digital ID? And I said, me. And he put me to a different line. And there I am right in, saved me at least 20 minutes there, which got me yeah. a little extra time to eat my chicken sandwich. So uh, certainly I love that about it. And, you know, technology is going to play a key role in a lot of this and helping us with, you know, potentially uh, sustainability stuff and, you know, uh, exciting things like there's supersonic jet travel and like super fast jets that have been talked about over time. And also, you know, technology leading us into space and everything. So can you talk a little bit about uh, where space travel is at these days and what's the latest there from what you've reported? You know, I mean, listen, there's a very, there's a big difference between uh, space in terms of NASA's goals to uh, return to the moon. NASA is announcing its Artemis II crew members. They will orbit the moon. Um, and that and then, of course, Artemis three, which is probably I got to say, I think it's probably late 2030s when we actually land people on the moon. But that will be the next step. 
uh, that all hinges upon SpaceX, Elon Musk uh, actually providing the rocket capability to get that done. But that's that's down the road. That's different, though, than the, uh, the, the space tourism stuff. Elon Musk is doing some of that already. If you're wealthy enough to afford a ride on a, on a SpaceX rocket and go for a joy ride, you can do that. Uh, Jeff Bezos, I suspect, is going to resume uh, the Blue Origin uh, quick bounces up into space for 10 minutes or so into low low Earth stratosphere. I'm not as I'm not as much of a big fan of that, to be honest with you. I think that's really a game for the millionaires out there yeah. or those lucky enough to win the lottery. I, I don't see that going mainstream. I don't think most of us can afford to do that, even at a quarter million dollars. That's just out of reach for most people. Um, but listen, I think what to me what's exciting about space right now is the return to the moon and then the initiatives to head on to Mars. My own hunch is having talked to all of these, all the vast majority of people in this field, Elon Musk, Bezos, NASA. I don't really think we're going to be landing on the on Mars for another 20, 30 years with people. That's my guess. But uh, but we'll see. You know, I mean, Elon has proven the doubters wrong. Yeah, that'll be exciting times. You know, something to look forward to and to continue to talk about, you know, the space exploration there and landing <clears throat> people back on the moon, especially, you know, you, you hear about that. I hear about that growing up a lot. And, and school and everything, and it's been a while, so it'd be nice to to get that and talk to my kids too. As my kids, I have a three year old and a and a, a four month old. So you know, when that happens by twenty thirty, and they're older, and that'll be you know fun for me to talk about. And there's t been talk too about a space hotel, you know, by the twenty thirties, which I I don't see as realistic for twenty thirty or whatever. Maybe I'm just not as optimistic on that. Just the idea of of a hotel in space and just seems like it would take a lot longer. And as you mentioned, you know, that's a game for the millionaire. So how much are you going to actually get people in that? So it's, um, yeah, it's certainly interesting where, where space travel is all in this. And, you know, it's fun to talk about. But again, if you, you know, you need to have the big dollars to actually, you know, make that dream a reality. And I think I would rather spend a quarter million dollars towards a home or I don't know, maybe just traveling actually around the globe here and on, on, on earth staying staying here so <laughs> that's my take on that I, I listen i'm with you I, I in a perfect world would i love to go into space sure of yeah. course um there's an awful also an awful lot of places on earth i'd like to see yeah. and uh and i and i and i don't want to take you know unnecessary risks because i also want to see my kids you know get married and grow up with their own yeah. kids so you know, you got to balance the risk equation for every. Everybody has a different risk equation. Um, but listen, I think that's the future. Absolutely, the future. The question is, how far away is the future? Right. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens just even over the next like two years here uh, as we get closer to thriving space travel discussions even more. So. <laughs> Um, that's, uh, where we're at on that. I do want to get your thoughts that you've covered aviation for 18 years, you said. So what stories have really stood out to you over, over your career here? Well, I think one of, I mean, listen, there are so many, uh, and not all of them are aviation or space related, but I do think in terms of aviation, the loss of, uh, the disappearance of Malaysia Flight 370 continues to be just such an incredible yeah. mystery. As you know, uh, this Netflix documentary is uh, one of the most popular on um, right now playing on Netflix about MH370. Uh, and they borrowed an awful lot of uh, pieces of me and my reporting uh, for their documentaries. So that's kind of fun to see that. But uh, I mean, that's a mess. That's just a huge mystery. You know what? Yeah. Um, what happened? Where? Wh why did that plane end up? We think now in the South Indian Ocean. Was it a hijacking? Was it a pilot going rogue? Was it a significant mechanical? Um, I think all the evidence would suggest it was a pilot involved. But anyway, 
So that is a uh, that clearly is one of the biggest uh, aviation stories that I've covered in my life, and and then I think you got to also look at the last fifteen years. We haven't had a thank God in this country. We have not had a fatal U.S. airliner crash since 2009. And I say that, my producer and I, who covered aviation for so long, we knock on wood whenever we yeah, say that. I was just doing that, yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to knock on wood behind me. Yeah. Um, but it is a, a remarkable achievement in aviation safety in this country that we should be very proud of. But let's not let our guard down, because while there are multiple layers of redundancy to ensure, hopefully, that the accidents don't happen, they can happen, and it's usually human error. Uh, and so that's why the FAA is doubling down on safety right now. And, and then lastly, I would say I, I, the, I travel a lot internationally. I was just in Norway uh, doing a, a, a big big story for NBC News. But, but um, I'm always struck when I travel internationally at, at how beautiful and modern so many of these airports are overseas and how we really need to up our game. We've got some airports that are uh, that are that are there. I think the new LaGuardia is incredible. Yeah, for example, I, was just about to say them. I think Tampa Airport, believe it or not, one one of my favorite airports, Tampa Airport, really really well done. Raleigh Durham, great airport. But you know, we I don't think overall we compete with a typical airline in big European capitals. Certainly not in Asian capitals. And for the leading economy in the world, we should be doing better. We should put on a better, not only should our infrastructure be better, our runways, our roads, our bridges, our highways, our waterways, all of that. But, you know, it's also the first impression people have of you when they get off the plane uh, and they say, wow, this is Oslo. This is amazing. They don't say that when they get off the plane at Washington, Dallas. So and this is the capital. I I think we need to do better. I agree. There are a lot of airports out there that need a lot of help and a lot of facelifts, if you will, new terminal sets up. And we've seen a few, you know, Orlando just did one. Kansas City's got one as they get ready for, you know, a big uh, sporting events coming their way in the future. But uh, with uh, football or soccer if uh, for my American listeners. But yeah, the, the, there's a, a lot to love about airports overseas, too. I mean, Singapore Airport is absolutely incredible. So, yeah, I think our... our Airports here in the U.S. could could stand to, to improve. Is there like a number one airport that you love the most from all your years of, of venturing in, in and out of them? Well, I mean, I, I got to say I'm a little partial to uh, Brussels Airport because I okay. have to keep the family yeah. relations good. My wife is Belgian. Brussels Airport is actually very nice, very modern, very slick. But having just gone through Copenhagen, oh, my gosh. What a beautiful airport that is. Oslo Airport, same thing. Absolutely stunningly beautiful and modern and slick and offering amenities that you know we don't offer most of us don't offer schiphol airport in the netherlands is a very very modern and and customer friendly airport as well you can get just about anything and everything in schiphol notice i say it with the dutch accent because my wife would slap me if i didn't (laughs) um but you know i I think i just think that we can do better and in the united states i i mentioned i told you i think the new laguardia is incredible I'm not a fan of the new Washington Reagan. I think that they've kind of bought, uh, made some mistakes there. They don't make it customer friendly if you are going to pick somebody up at the airport, for example. There's no place for you to have lunch or dinner. If you, you know, if your mother-in-law is coming in and you're waiting for her at the airport, there's really no nice seat to sit in. Uh, there's no place to have a burger. I mean, it's really, a, I think it's a big shortfall, shortcoming for Reagan Airport. I'm, I'm hoping that they will improve that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, there's there's a, several airports out there that need to be improved and some awesome ones you just talked about that I've now put on my list. So 
As we wrap up here, you know, you've traveled around the world and everything. So what's your top advice for, you know, plane travel or just general best travel tips uh, for uh, leisure and work too? If you'd like. Don't forget your adapters. So if you are going to Europe, make sure you have your plug adapters, right? They're always cheaper to buy them at your local store than to buy them at the uh, in the airport somewhere. Um, I'll tell you a piece of advice. You know, you, uh, first of all, I always uh, we try to go off the beaten track. So while we will go to big cities, we try to find something else out there, right? That's off the beaten track. I would do that. I think the past the path uh, less traveled is often the richer one. But I would also say I was in a situation this last week. And if you are ever going out on a cruise, on a boat, and you fear getting seasick, I was on a NATO-slash-Norwegian Navy ship last week doing a story for NBC News, and we were in the North Sea, and it was rough. Rough, rough, rough. I mean, my photographer, my sound man, and my producer were all deadly sick, laying on the floor, losing their lunch. It was bad. I was fine. Now, I'm normally the one who would get sick. But I was fine. And the reason is I had gotten these prescription patches that you put behind your ear. It's prescription. You got to get it from a doctor. You put it behind your ear. You wear it for three days. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I had zero, zero seasickness, and I was in violent, violent seas. So if you are going on a situation where you fear of getting seasick, get the prescription patch that goes behind your ear. Ask your doctor about it. He or she will know what it is. It will save you a lot of misery. Wonderful. Yes, that is a great tip right there. Talk to your doctor. It can help, you know. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Happy traveling, everybody. Thanks again to Tom for jumping on and talking all things travel and big insights into the world of aviation. That's all the time we have for the podcast this week. Again, podcast at travelpulse.com is the email. If you'd like to reach out and give me your thoughts on what's going on in the world of travel, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for you to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that. And Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Have a great week.